when you just can't leave Cuba without a red card to add to your collection. It's that's so MLS. A North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Nick, how are you? I am doing okay. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I, it's been an international break, so there's been a little bit of games, but uh, but uh, a little slightly lighter schedule. Um, Canada had a six nothing win at home, and then uh, which I didn't get to see, and then I got to see a little bit of their one nothing win uh, against Cuba in Cuba. It wasn't uh, in was... Cuba. FIFA wouldn't sanction uh, the oh. the stadium. Fun little well, fact there. Where was it? Where was it then? Oh, was, I feel like it was an island somewhere. The Cayman Islands. The Cayman Islands, which is a good an unmarked, an unmarked goal. Uh, uh, Alfonso Davies added one goal to an unmarked account in the Cayman Islands. Yeah. <laughs> there will be um, no taxes on that goal. Um, also, no taxes on that goal. Oh, I had thought of a line earlier in the week that was like, uh, where I was just like, imagine being a national team coach and your biggest concern is having players defect before matches. Because I believe five Cuban players defected uh, before this, the last match that Canada played against them. The one. Yeah, when they went to. When they went to Canada, five five players uh, didn't come back, including the captain. Yeah, I mean, that's hard to build a squad around. Let's just be realistic. And I don't mean to make light of the very real uh, human stories there, but it, it just I was like, that puts a particular dimension on team dynamics. Yeah, it could be uh, it could be really tough. And I mean, like, I think that it, you know, the the result is, it's almost, it was like, what, 82%, 82% possession? Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, uh, there was also the, the other big thing that happens, there's a hurricane over here, kind of. That's right. Um, I, ha- I have some East Coast friends, and yourself included, obviously, in it. Uh, what ended up happening? Because you would not know that anything happened if you watched BC News. So, so Hurricane Dorian uh, landed in, uh, approached as a hurricane, uh, as a Category One hurricane, uh, landed as a Category Two hurricane, was down, landed in Nova Scotia as a Category Two hurricane, was downgraded to a post-tropical cyclone. Um, Nova Scotia got the biggest direct hit, and then we got the we got some some hard wind and rain, including some trees coming up and stuff. I worked, and there is like a non-zero chance that if I hadn't worked, I might have parked my car, or some guys, uh, some guys, my I would have parked my van where some guy's car got smashed by a tree. Oh no! So it was uh, it was it was rough stuff, but. Everybody made it through it. Baby's baby's first hurricane. Yeah, damn. And and of course, I mean, all you can feel is um, lucky about that because of the devastation that that uh, particular storm has caused in other places, including the Bahamas. Yeah, that's unreal. I remember because I don't follow the news a ton because I'm off Twitter for the most part. Um, before the hurricane hit the Bahamas, and then being like. Is it, I was like, what happened? Like, is everyone okay? Like, what? And just seeing the pictures, and you're like, oh, so total devastation. Okay, well, I feel like uh, I don't have high hopes for the international community coming to their aid. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, folks down there get the help they need. Absolutely. Um, did you get a chance to watch anything? I did, yeah. Yeah, it was a little light on games, but there was still uh, some MLS action, some interesting games took place, some interesting results, too. Um, What was there, six games total? Five games? Yeah, five. Um, I'm really curious to know what you think about this Orlando LAFC match. This was the first thing, This they had it as the, the, the 15-minute game, so it was the first thing that I watched. Um, it's tough 
this this is the game that really kicks off the the perennial question that everybody always asks in terms of playing games during the international break. Not every league does chooses to do this. Um, mm-hmm. And in, I mean, luckily for LAFC, nobody's the the result here is not going to affect their overall sort of title challenge. It's not going to come down to a point for LAFC. Um, mm-hmm. But they were clearly, you know, they lost the last game, and so they, it, there's a there's a temptation to say that they looked vulnerable, mm-hmm. but also. They were missing Mark Anthony K, Walker Zinneran, Atuesta, Brian Rodriguez, and Palacios to international duty, and Carlos Vela was injured. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can't get like super excited unless, and I'm like, like, I wonder what you, whether or not you think that given the fact that playing during international breaks is a reality of MLS and has been in, for years and doesn't look like it's going to change in the foreseeable future. If it is fair to judge teams based on how they um, how they perform when they are called upon to do so, I mean it's fair in the sense that if there's a game happening, uh, then both teams know about it, and it's their responsibility to have depth to be able to deal with it. Right? Like it's not like it be- it's thrown at you in the moment. And you're like, oh, shoot, we've got a game this week, guys. Uh, All right, who's fit? Who do we have? Mm -hmm. You wouldn't know it from some of the games this week. Um, But of course, yeah, I mean, there's not too much we can take away from this game that's going to tell us about uh, either side, really. But I'm curious about it in terms of this one for me feels like um, just... I don't want to say it's given to LAFC, but I, I feel like Orlando was really hard done by here in this game. So this is essentially it's a it's a two two draw. Um in in LAFC get the first goal and Orlando score two pretty quickly. This is another one of those games where it's the twentieth minute and it, all of a sudden the score's two one, you're like, wait, what happened? How many three goals? Three goals in eight minutes. What happened? Uh, and, and the answer to that is um, Nani is amazing. It scored an amazing goal, um, and then uh, Benji Michelle and Ruan had a plastic, a classic sort of play to the line, pass into the middle goal for uh, for two one, and they held that for um, for a pretty long time. I think that the the again they. LAFC does not have some of its most dangerous, you know, the, the back line is weakened and, and some of its most dangerous playmakers and attackers are not present. Um, but I think the Orlando did a great job of crowding them out in the middle and forcing them to make a play in through the wings, um, forcing them to rely on Lee Wynn mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, who had some like, you know, decent runs, but, but ultimately, the, the combination of that, and I think a certain, uh, just from what I was able to see, a little bit of invisibility from Adama Diamande and Diego Rossi. Yeah. Um, that's that's the other, that's the thing. Uh, LAFC were playing with a, a, a too short bench, like they were playing with uh, 16. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do have those two players who are phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and... And they didn't really have a lot going for for the course of the game, until um, and and uh, Patino almost had one off the bar for Orlando, so they could have made it three one. But then late in the game, uh, Rossi has a uh, has a, a, a spectacular little give and go with Diamande, who who turns to put it back on. Those two players, after having maybe not a lot of presence, uh, do combine near the end. But I see what you mean in terms of this feeling of Orlando maybe deserving a little bit more just because they they appear to be handling them so well. And this one, I don't see that this one was one that turned on a, a call in any way. Mm-hmm. But it really seems like in getting the 1-1 the draw, it's like LAFC got a fair amount, uh, perhaps more than it deserved without doing the work. It's like almost they were 
able to coast for uh they were able to coast for however long yeah i guess 60 minutes um or yeah cuz the goal was it was a, it was 78 so they were able to co- they were able to coast for like 58 minutes um and then score once and then make it out with the make it out with a point mm-hmm. and i guess that that uh that was enough for them especially you know i guess with the um with the undersized bench but uh you do I see what you mean about feeling that maybe Orlando morally could have deserved more. Yeah, and maybe I just feel bad for Orlando because they've just sort of been the the laughing stock of the league for so much of it. Um mm. and, and just sort of like a you know, the archetype of the MLS expansion side that is all huff and no puff. Um you know, they had a, so many near chances, as you talked about. Um, I guess, ultimately, it is kind of fair. I mean, I talk about it the other way, which is, at the end of the day, you have to take your chances. And Orlando had the, the easiest LAFC side that they were going to face ever, probably, and could have gotten three points out of it and just needed to tighten things up a little bit more. That for me is still the thing that Orlando really lacks is just um, strength in down the spine of the team that yeah. they continue to invest. I mean, to bring in a player like Nanny, obviously it's had an impact um, and they found some players that better fit the system in the club, but I'm still not seeing where that like this is a game where that final 15 minutes means everything and there's just not the defensive shape or will there because this i mean give diego rossi some credit for scoring this goal but you know that it, it there's just not the alertness there and i struggle to see how on Orla- an orlando side playing an lafc side like this is gonna if they somehow make it into the playoffs how they're gonna go very far <laughs> You mean Orlando? Orlando. Sorry, what did I say? You, you, I wasn't sure whether or not you were you oh. were saying that uh, the LAFC were not going to make very far. I don't think Orlando. Certainly not having gotten these two points. Uh, if they if they had got them, they they could have been in that position. They could have been in that discussion. Since we've talked recently, uh, things are starting to firm up a little bit more in the um, in the Eastern Conference. Mm-hmm. We are now kind of more in a situation where um, Montreal uh, in the last spot, New England is on 39 and Montreal is on 30, uh, 37. And the two teams above New England are on 41 points and 42 points. So you have to think with, uh, you know, not the not the largest amount of games left in the season that um, Montreal is probably not going to catch DC United at 42 five points ahead. Mm-hmm. So you can start to take maybe DC, maybe New York and New York Red Bulls and maybe TFC uh, out of the chess game for that last spot. Um, the, although TFC is currently drawing to New York city, which I guess maybe is a win-win for both, uh, for both teams, depending on how that game ends. Uh, as we, as we speak, the, uh, so Orlando is probably almost has as as good of a chance as any if if New England can't hold up, but but I'd almost say that's starting to solidify. And, yeah, and New England is showing something week to week, mm-hmm. and Montreal is not having the best go at it in terms of showing something week to week, and and Orlando is is in the same way that Chicago, who's are only a point down from them, are. It feels like Orlando are having to almost like defend their identity week to week. Mm-hmm. Like they're not really gonna they're they're certainly not gonna fall down to the the end of the conference, but they don't really uh, they don't really like stand a, ch- a huge chance of qualifying. And it really seems like they're just sort of it's like every time they step on the field, it's like they just got to um, like defend that they're good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like a very precarious, like, 
okayness as a team, <laughs> which is not rarely where you yeah. want to be at this time of year. Yeah, I, I, I knew what you're trying to say, and it, I, I feel like I that's a, a, as good a combination of words as any. Um, that Orlando they don't just, none of them particularly suck. Yeah, but they're, they're not. They're better than they were, and mm-hmm. like you could probably say, like Orlando's been pretty good this year. Yeah. Um, but I, I agree that I think New England is going to hold that final spot. I think not just uh, in terms of form, but character as well. New England had a rough, uh, a rough week in terms of trying to maintain mm. that as they, um, as they visited New York city, um, and, and only got the, and, and got handed a two, one loss, but this is almost a game. I feel like had a little bit more injustice to it. Um, yeah. As Caicedo scores on two minutes um, to uh, to get things lively right away. It's just so strong um, in that moment, too. Like, uh, it's uh, I forget the defender's name, but he was subbing in because Callens was away on international duty. But Caicedo's just... So, like, I wish I had that kind of upper body strength running at defenders. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and... And the unfortunate part for them, this was to look at the possession map. I guess, like, when there, whenever there's games like this, and the LAFC game is similar too, it's like, you you feel, oh, I feel so sorry for the team that lost. And then you look at the possession, and it was, like, 75 to 25 mm-hmm. possession in favor of New York City. Um, but part of that is because Nick uh, DeLamea, or no, I have the I have the first name there. Uh, I have the first name wrong. Antonio Delamea um, is sent off for denial of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. Um, this is such it a... looks a little bit... Such a head shaker to me. You have issues. I'm having issues. This... Tell me about him. <laughs> I just... I think this is partly stoked um, by some of Savarese's comments this week. Um, for which he was fined. But it's supposed to be things that are clear and obvious. And just going back and deciding to review something and giving a red, like, for me, there was just no need to do this, and it effectively kills a a good game of soccer. Um, New York is is lining up for a free kick at that point. Yeah, and they're, they're ready to get on with it. There's absolutely no need to go back and review that call. And I think even when they do, I still think VAR has it wrong. I, I don't see how that's a red, but. So Savarese, wait, Savarese got no, no, no. So, complained? Sorry, Savarese made comments in the Portland game. But, uh, and so oh. I'm, I'm just sort of like. Right, right, right. What am I thinking? He was, but he was c- criticizing that, like, we don't know, like, pro needs to communicate to the referees what is clear and obvious and what is a PK and what's not a PK and. Etc. And so I have a bit of that in my head looking at the games this week. Didn't mean to cause confusion there. Gio Savarese was, was not present was, for this match. I was confused because Savarese once was the was was a New York coach of a different New York team, oh. Cosmos. So so my wires crossed all of a sudden. Um, but yeah, apparently the the red card uh, the red card suspension has been rescinded. Yeah, as well. So. Delamea will play uh, in the next game, which is great against Orlando, yeah. which is great news for them. Um, but it doesn't really help them get this game back. And in much similar to that that Canada uh, Cuba game we talked about, it really felt that uh, New York just sort of held on and and drove the game without scoring for a while. There was a the that red card happens on the. Uh, that red card happens on the ninth minute, and my highlight package jumps from the twenty fifth minute to the sixty third minute yeah. without anything happening mm-hmm. in a game where one team had seventy five percent possession. That just sounds super boring to me. Yeah, and it's it's frustrating too because I mean, so this now means New York City FC clinches a playoff spot and goes to mm-hmm. top of the East. And we've talked about how they've been a much better complete team this season. And they deserve to be in the top. In terms of number one, 
where I take issue is that I still feel like New York is one of those teams that just gets gifted a couple of games per season. Like, just handed a game like this, where, you know, a team is forced to defend for most of the match. And, of of course, again, you have to work with all the elements that you have, and ideally things balance out by the end of the season. I just, I'm not quite sure, like, how we're getting to the to the point still where teams like New York kind of just get a free pass at home and it's been talked about in that stadium where it's just like the there's no soccer gods it's just the referees seem yes. to be against you and i hate that line of arguing argument Shilby as well Petrescu. yeah and it was interesting as well because i i was listening earlier to um the podcast I was telling you about that Benny Fellhaber puts out and like, it's not a great podcast, but the interviews they do with fellow players are interesting. Like there's interesting snippets and they were, they ask Chris Wondolowski, who's least favorite referee is, and which I was surprised they asked. Um, and Petrescu came up, <laughs> but it's just like, wh- how are you making this call? Like what criteria are you using to award this and I don't know. I don't know what else to say. It just, it's unfortunate because New York city should be there on their own accord for the the quality of soccer they're playing. And I feel like this, this game probably could have ended in a draw and new England could have gotten something out of it. I mean, credit to new England. They've put themselves in a good position where they still, are above Montreal and Orlando. I think they'll still hold on to that playoff spot, but you know, another point wouldn't have hurt. <laughs> and they probably well, deserved you at, it. You look at the, ex- the expected goals for this one. Um, New York city has 30 shots and 10 shots on target and expected goals of four and they scored two. Mm-hmm. And, and to, to me, I almost feel like the underachievement is not, the two, but the four. The fact that you have 70, that, that of all teams, New York City had 75% of possession and could only generate that number of, of bona fide scoring chances. Yeah. I know that it's, I know that expected goals of four doesn't mean four chances, but it's like, like, I would expect it to be even more. Yeah. One, I have remembered I had another point. The reason why I brought up the, um, the penalty, or not the penalty, sorry, the, the red card call and the refereeing thing is because regardless of what I think, I mean, clearly that that's not going to change anything. But what it means is, yet again, I think we're going to see a playoff picture where New York City comes in, highly rated, gets a bye, and is going to get knocked out. And everyone's going to sit around and go, oh, that's unexpected, what happened? And to me, it's just like, well, they probably didn't deserve to be in the spot they were in um, because it's so tight and they were gifted a couple of games. And, you know, I like I want to see in New York City just play a game of like grinded out soccer that we've actually seen for the first time this year. Um, <laughs> but I'd like to see them do it without a referee getting in the way of things. But in yeah. a playoff picture, I, I still don't think this club has as much legs as people think it does. It's a much improved side. Um, but it's it's just sort of frustrating to be like, New York City FC is number one, and I feel like they'll win their first playoff game and then just get knocked out, and that'll be the end of that. And we'll, we'll just sort of forget about their, rel- their good year. <laughs> The team that got uh, eliminated was, or, or not the team that got eliminated, but the the team in the East that that benefited the most this week was Toronto, who won five one at Cincinnati in a game that was just just a sorry display for the home side. Yeah, um, they got just torn apart. Yeah, it's it's really hard to think of anything positive to say about Cincinnati. Or anything to say, period, about Cincinnati. There's just... <laughs> there's so little will from 
the players on the pitch. I think there's a, a few. Um, the the little minor silver lining is that Ledesma has reinvented himself after years yeah. and years and years of showing promise. It also seems like he's very happy there. He's happy as a person at the club um, and really loves the city, which is great. I always love that when a player from somewhere randomly around the world finds themselves in a, a new home and really embraces it. Yeah. But they're just... As a team, there's really, you kind of just think like, start all over again? Like what, what's the plan going into next year? It's just so, so, so bad. Um, and there's just such a lack of urgency and quality here. That's really, really baffling to me. It sounds like Ron, uh, the, Ron Johns, the, the coach, is probably going to be somebody who uh, I don't necessarily mean that you build a roster from the ground up, but he's going to have to rebuild. Um, I think the locker room culture and, and atmosphere. Yeah. And that really requires a, um, that requires an off season. I think that, that, that it is possible that there are pieces here that can work if, if done in the right way. And, and, We've talked a little bit about the difficulty in adjusting for coaches that don't really know the MLS system. So maybe as much as anybody else, this is a good run out for him to just sort of like <laughs> almost observe the league in his yeah. in his uh, in his his final weeks. But he's you know had the quotes where he's said not in, in response to this game, but where he's you know said the the team told me the 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 team made uh, I'm trying to remember what his quotes were. In, in the game before last, but he is saying essentially like, I have this expectation expectation of the, the team and they didn't live up to it. But, but ultimately there's no trust or communication that, that, that justifies that expectation. It's an outsider's expectation. Um, it may be a little bit more time. will will allow that bond to grow. Mm. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> I think a really like uh, a great game this week was Portland Sporting Kansas City. Yeah. Which which I think had like the sort of storybook uh, finish as much as New York City we 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 didn't mention uh one with the one like had the one goal and then had a a, a penalty in extra time. But here you not only have uh, an extra time winner for Portland who beats Sporting Kansas City 2-1. Um but I think uh, uh, as as much as Sporting Kansas City early had uh, shocked Portland with a with an amazing goal from Benny Failhaber, mm-hmm. a, a probably unintended um, goal as well. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. It's an either a, a picture perfect goal or just a wild cross. I think that's that an, the, that's that an errant cross. If I'm looking at Failhaber's face after he if it go, when it goes in, he almost feels bad about it. Uh, <laughs> He looks like a genius, though. Yeah. But after the first, uh, after the first goal from uh, Jeremy Abobasi, uh the um, Portland really looked like they recovered, and 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 it was uh, wonderful for the fans to see at home for them to um, collect with a with a great ball. Over from Diego Valeri to Brian Fernandez on 94 minutes to get the three points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, good, good showing from Portland. Um, Savarese was upset that there was no PK. There was two PK calls. He thought that Portland should have gotten the first half. He's been fined for those comments. I think he somewhat has a point here. Um, I don't know that it's any more egregious than other games that we've seen this season. I just think that it's for me, I actually felt like last year was a little better with VAR. Like somehow the opening year with VAR was, was better than this one. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it just feels like I don't know how all of a sudden things have gotten so overcomplicated and why there has to be such difficulty in interpreting the rules but um they need to take a a good hard look at it and make sure everybody understands what the rules are because 
that's the the thing that everybody's crying out for. It's just like, well, how come last week it was a handball, this week it's not a handball, the week after that it's going to be a handball. And the more that the league tries to say, okay, well, here's the rule and that's the end of the story and we're, you know, if it touches the hand at all, then it's a PK. But then they don't follow up on it. It it just nobody knows what's going on so i agree with geo there but i'm glad his team got the win because they the win they do deserve it three valuable points for portland is um the uh the thing that's we we talked about the the western conference starting to calcify the eastern conference starting to calcify a little bit more well it's only getting worse in the west yeah where the first spot out of the playoffs, eight, eight, the eighth spot and second spot are separated by four points. It's insane. Across seven teams. There are seven teams, six playoff spots, and four points between all of them. So I love it. If a team, it's the way it should if be. A team, <laughs> it's, like, it's like you have this one big mountain and then a huge plateau where, where like, Rail Salt Lake is is theoretically three games. You know, we we I think that that we've both talked about Salt Lake as being a team that is pickoffable, mm-hmm. um, but they're technically three spots safe. Mm-hmm. But they could easily they could just as easily be uh, be out and 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 lose that spot to L.A. or or any other team that falls into that position. The big game for me that will change this, and of course, by the time people listen to this, they'll they'll know the answer is Colorado versus LA Galaxy. Yeah, that happens late tonight as we uh, as we record. Actually, no, it's it's starting right now. Um, Colorado had uh, like, and part of the the calcifying nature here is that the team in second, um, Seattle, lost to Colorado mm-hmm. uh, last weekend. So the uh, so that's you know they could have maybe staked their claim on it. I don't know that they are in a lot of that Seattle's in a lot of danger, but no. it was wild to see uh, Colorado pull off that result against Seattle. And if, if there's we've talked about LA being beatable, and if Colorado can beat, well, maybe it's not use it's not useful to talk in hypothetical terms now because everybody listening to this will know the result. But um, yeah. But that was a that was a heck of a result for Colorado in the weekend. It was, and of course, it's a makeshift lineup, and that's what everybody's talking about. Is Seattle had to sign up some reserves, and and it was a makeshift team. But again, like if you know that you're playing the game, and you know you have players away on international duty, you're supposed to have a good squad depth. Colorado still felt a little wasteful in this one, but it just really highlighted what, what they do well. And that's their counterattack is it's super fast. And when they're, when they can get the precision passes into the box, they can be really lethal. Uh, Shinyashiki gets two goals. Um, you know, Col- let me read Colorado you, let me read you down, but here. never out. Let me just read you the list here. Cause it is, it is wild of, of who Seattle is missing for this game. From injury, Will Bruin and Victor Rodriguez suspended. Roman Torres, international duty. Brad Smith, Xavier Arriaga, Raul Ruiz, Gustav Svensson, Jovan Jones, Christian Roldan, Jordan Morris, Alfonso Alcampo Chavez, Jordi Jellem, and Nuhutolo. So that's that's a team. That's that's six defenders. They were they were missing from this game. Six defenders. Uh, Three midfielders and four forwards. Four midfielders. Six defenders, four midfielders, and four forwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, it's hard. It's hard to say. I think that, that ultimately, and maybe this is a good time to talk about one little thread that cropped up. Um, when the next MLS CBA is negotiated, mm. I think the, the, the thing that a lot of people should really be talking about is... Um, increasing the depth, especially if CONCACAF and MLS is going to be trying to come up with a new competition every five minutes. Very true. Yeah. 
I mean, um, did you see you you? It sounded like you saw this um, this thread from Bob Williams of Don MLS Commissioner Don Garber at the uh, 2019 Venues Now conference on a uh, on a panel with um, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, Kathy Engelbert, and Don Garber. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just sort of. Watching, or sorry, uh, uh, Tawa, watching like, through like, the the comments and trolling through Twitter to see what was going on uh, around the league because uh, I know Minnesota United came out with a, a club statement about banning Iron Front patches or T-shirts or anything with the Iron Front symbol would be banned from the stadium, um, which is which is a level that Portland and Seattle have not really got to. No. Which I guess was maybe their like view of either compromise or just like a level where you can't you you were it's impossible to police to a certain degree unless you just turn, tell people to you, you start turning people away yeah um, that people could come in and of course players were coming in with it on so it's really curious to see what will happen in Minnesota if anybody has that feeling. Mm-hmm. But you saw that statement from from Minnesota United and also from a supporters group. Yeah, the supporters group basically uh, was like, "Well, we're gonna have a meeting with the club. I believe that's scheduled. Um, but also, you can take us off of all your promotional material if this is something you're gonna do." But it was interesting because Don Garber's sort of statements, and I was reading like quotes within a journalist's tweet so take it that for what it is i did not go this is bob williams bob williams right sports business i did not go follow up to to see the context of these comments but essentially don garber is talking about there being uh you know we've have a debate in the league about whether or not the iron front symbol is political um or anti-fascism is a political stance um and like we also have a debate about having people on their phones during games, but you know they're digital natives. We can't ever get people off their phones. So the one thing to clarify with that is that the the digital native quote was from the NBA commissioner. Ah, okay. So uh, silver, right? So they were like, but I but it sounds like it was in the context of each other where where the, the that quote came afterwards. Uh, the the tweet from Bob Williams reads. Don Garver says MLS quote is in a debate with the fan um, end quote with the fans as to whether the Iron Front symbol is political or not. He says the situation is quote new ground. You've got to manage through it. He adds, and then Silver follows up with, "There's a debate in our league about using phones in the stands." Oh, I <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, there's but, always a bootlicker out there, but it's like. The thing is with with that is that like MLS is in a debate with the fans, and and what that means is that they decided, and we've we've covered this you know at length in past episodes, but it's like they've decided that because they are at odds with another group that they are political or or for whatever reason that that's tied to 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 Antifa, which is which is political somehow in some way, um, and we. Uh, we had a, a, a last week as we recorded after, just after we went off the air, the Whitecaps had that statement where they rescinded, um, where they mentioned that it was a mistake, it was a miscommunication. They had only intended to warn the fan that they told that they had suspended <laughs> just, for the rest just, of the season. <laughs> I'd totally forgotten about it because it was so laughable, and it, was, it happened <laughs> kind of late at night. It was just so ridiculous. It's such an obvious, just heaping load of baloney. Oh, there's an internal communication error. It's it's the same language. Uh, it's like the bureaucratic language of of just indecisiveness and having no idea what the hell you're doing. Like, sit down, boys. Good God. But, but what Rachel Lewis's quotes to J.J. Adams at that time, and, and we talked about this um, on chat after after that popped up at the end of the episode, um, was that, you know, Portland had said, we are an anti-fascist club. We're an anti-racist club. And the Whitecaps version of this was to say, quote, the Whitecaps have a really strong commitment to the values of diversity and inclusion, and that includes support for anti-fascism and anti-racism, which is completely trying, like, distancing language. Yeah. When you think about, instead of saying we're anti-racist, 
We're in support of anti-fascism and anti-racism. We don't do it, but we support, which, which that's, that's obviously my spin on the words. But it's like to say the the difference between those two clubs, you, all you have to do is to, to look at the wording, right? And, but even, even that is support, you know, uh, to, to go a sentence down and say, the Iron Front is associated with Antifa, which is considered a political movement. That By, but that, this is know, the thing, though. These are private companies. Like, this is a private company. And that means that there's a mm-hmm. board and they make decisions about things. So it is considered. That's uh, a passive passive voice. Like, it is considered. By whom? We're talking about probably literally seven people who consider it yeah. political. So don't, like, this is what drives me crazy about these kinds of statements is that you and I, we could talk about this for hours and go back and forth. But at the end of the day, we're talking about there's just seven people in a boardroom who don't like it. And they don't even have the guts to just come out and say, well, some of us are kind of white supremacists. Like... (laughs) I'm sorry, but that we don't know for sure that anybody from the board is a white supremacist. Yeah, but we don't know for I, sure. I get your point exactly. But there's allegedly, allegedly, there's probably one, <laughs> at least. Who knows? Who knows? The, the, the. Um. Uh, we we have no information, but but to say, but like the 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 broader point is that you have to do something to be in support of anti-racism and, inti- and anti-fascism. This is what what boiled my uh, boiled my top uh, about that statement. And and when I think about this debate, it's like the- is that if you if you take the moment to say we are in support of anti fascists, except that the Iron Front is a political movement of anti fascism that we don't support. It's like either you think if you if you are if you support anti fascism, then you're in support of the Iron Front. Yeah. Except that it's a except that it's a political movement, like yeah, like, like they're making like, it complicated on themselves. That's like me saying, being like, I support you paying, I support uh, paying your rent. I'm not going to pay it, but I support paying it. I think that you have made a really good point, and in, in broadly about where is it coming from and what is the the um, the declaration that it is considered this because. Ultimately, a debate requires two sides, and the the other side in all of these stadiums around the league is a club that is forwarding it to the league. Yeah, you know what I mean. There's there is no debate because there is nobody that is getting into you know whatever the MLS version of like you know uh, uh, a university debate hall is well and what don and we... <laughs> when what don garber says when people say things like we're breaking new ground here like you know this is new territory what it means is they weren't ready they didn't do their homework they didn't do proper consultations the supporters clubs have been saying this for literally years that when this new policy came out, the supporters groups asked to be a part of it. The league said no and kept them out of the process, came out with something that they didn't even understand, that they being the league. And now this is what happens. There's a total lack of clarity. And the league is trying to pretend that the policy is like the word of God etched in stone and has no like other interpretation. The reality is they screwed up. They didn't do their homework, <laughs> and now they're paying the price for it, and they're trying to be like, well, you, oh, you know, it's a, it is a debate, and we know how this is going to drag out. It's going to take a ton of time, and eventually MLS is going to have to backtrack, and they're going to find some other weaselly way of sort of passively allowing something. It, it just, it's so unnecessary. Do you know uh, another league? That has uh, that has been caught flat out without a policy on anti-racism. I've heard of it. Is is the NWSL had a uh, an, an interesting week where uh, they had a, a heck of a game there um, on the weekend between uh, Utah and Portland, but um, the uh, it all kind of the what people have been talking about in the uh, 
aftermath of that one nothing win by Utah is the fact that Portland goalkeeper Adriana French uh, may have been the target of racist abuse. Um, and initially, the first thing that happened is, uh, obviously, like, that is really regrettable. It's really unfortunate because um, nobody should have to, nobody should have to take that. It's also... In, and it shouldn't be a part of the, it just shouldn't be a part of the game, and it should definitely not be a part of the NWSL. Like it, it shouldn't surprise me in Trump's America, but, like, it doesn't not just boggle your mind as well like why why is this happening how is this happening like there's so many other things that you could shout there can always be there there there, there will always be from time to time yahoos um but i think that the interesting thing that people have you know um traced over the course of this one is that uh nwsl put out a statement that said um, we have been made aware of an incident in the game this weekend where racist comments were made towards one of our players. Racism in any form is under- acceptable, and NWSL does not tolerate this behavior on the field nor in the stands. Per league policy, appropriate actions have been taken with the club and individual following outcome of the investigation into the matter. At which point, Meg Linehan of The Athletic said, What league policy? <laughs> and asked the NWSL, uh, Can you show me your anti racism league policy? Called and the league was F- like, Ah, uh, uh, <laughs> we'll be back. Working, quote, literally, quote, working on getting that <laughs> was the quote that, that Linehan, who writes for the Athletic, was told. Um, but we now uh, have got to sign on. I don't know if it's official, but it's signed. It, it, it's it's a, apparently signed by all the supporters group in, in, in NWSL. A new NWSL supporters code of conduct. Nice. Which came... Um, which, what, which appears to be comprehensive. You can find it on, uh, it's like, it's Meg Linehan Twitter account. Um, it appears to be comprehensive. It does not reference politics. It came also, um, fan, it came from the grassroots and up, mm-hmm. you know, it was a, it, it in some ways is a self-policing of fans saying like, this is what we this is what we want to be known for, and this is what we want to be. This is what we want this space to be, which is so powerful as a gesture. Um, it, you know, I don't think that fans should always be like. You shouldn't be relying on fans to be your in-stadium security. <laughs> no, but <laughs> but it. it the, but at the same time, there is a two side, two ways of looking at it, and. Mm-hmm it's one of the few things that gives me some hope is that, you know, heading into some pretty perilous times where uh, white supremacy and white nationalism and extreme views on ethnicity and migration are, are just boiling over that people, normal people, the rest of us mm-hmm. won't tolerate this. And will organize and organize in whatever capacity and sphere we need to. And that gives me some hope that, yes, it's always going to be a fight against the higher powers. Because, again, the way that they function is usually for compliance they come out with a policy Uh and then they just want people to follow it and give money to them but the supporters groups and uh the fan base demand more and demand that there's some meaning behind words so when mls or mls clubs use words like community Supporters groups say, well, okay, if you're going to use that word and you're going to be in our community, then here's our community code of conduct in. And I love, and here's, do you want to, do you want to hear, you want to hear the, yeah. have you seen it? As an NWSL supporters group, we affirm that we expect our members to embrace diversity and treat all players, coaches, fans, supporters, officials, team, and stadium staff with dignity and respect. We will not tolerate hateful or discriminatory words or actions based on race, gender identity, sexuality, citizenship status or nationality age appearance disability religious or cultural identity 
We will also respect the privacy, personal space, and professional boundaries of players, team, and league staff. And there's some stuff about what will happen if that happens. And in this, this line, I really think is important. We pledge to make our community a safe space for all who join us in good faith with an open mind and the intention to be a part of a welcoming community. Nailed it. Yeah. Love it. Exactly. It's that easy. It's that easy. And that's the the brain boiling thing is that normal, decent people <laughs> can just be like, hey, we just want we you know what? We do just want to watch soccer. But if you are a Nazi who has other <laughs> motives, you need to go somewhere else. That's true. <sighs> game itself, game itself was pretty good. Uh, <laughs> Becky Sauer, it was Becky Sauerbrunn who who got the, the the lone goal for Utah. Found open room and, and headed it in at the far post. Um, Emily Sonnet, uh, if you've seen the game, it's pretty good. Emily Sonnet gets sent off and then has this look of like. <laughs> like just hates it. Um, in, in Utah are able to um, Utah are able to hold on in that uh, you know, being that they're at home and that they uh, they have that uh, advantage situation. Mm-hmm. Portland are now the uh, Portland are in, in remain in the head of the league and. And in the, the NWSL system, I believe, the top four teams make the playoffs. So that win um, launched Utah over Seattle into that position. Right. Um, with uh, In combination with a few other results, which included um, the Rain, uh, Rain FC, or I guess Seattle is Rain FC because they now are in, in Tacoma. They beat Orlando Pride 3-1. Um, with a brace for Jenkins um, and, uh, and a third from Giannis, which is good. A lot uh, in that game. I'm trying to find the uh, trying to find the first names here. Um, a lot in that name was put. To, a lot in that game was put together by. Oh, I'm not trying to watch the actual game here. NWSLsoccer.com. Um, I was impressed by Bethany Balser, the striker who who set up a lot of these move, uh, these maneuvers. Mm. Um, you also saw, I think, I don't know if this was the return, um, but some of the players, some of the key um, national team players uh, for the United States have been waiting um, to, to have been having injury problems or waiting to come back. This was Megan Rapinoe's first game of the season um, as she had an ankle problem coming off of that um, victory tour. Yeah. I mean, it really does put into perspective just like the toll on the human body. I mean, I can't imagine coming off a World Cup and then being like, oh, God, right, more soccer, the the league. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I'll be out there in a minute. Like, uh... It's a it's a huge task for <laughs> these humans to go through. I'm sorry, that's the most tired Wade. thing. It's hard to play a sport, but I'm, what I'm trying to express <laughs> is is just like the physical toll of like a, a huge competition like the World Cup, and then having to go back to your club and and then essentially not really having any break. Um, is yeah just it's so hard too for even relatively minor injuries that can end up sticking around for a super long time sky blue fc who uh who everybody wants to see succeed because they finally are are uh are looking up this year in terms of fan interest um almost held north carolina courage um but weren't quite able to pull it off um with a two one loss at home. Uh this this defensive clearance to, to start it off pops up and sneaks into Kalen Sheridan's post um for the first goal. It was it was Sheridan on one end and Labe the other, so so Canada versus Canada. Um uh that was an oops to start it off for, for Sheridan, but uh, Sky Blue were able to um to tie up 
when Abby Dahlkemper was fouled and, and Carla Lloyd uh, buried the penalty, but Crystal Dunn scored late to get the courage to win her. Um, and the other one was Chicago uh, blasting Houston 3-0 with two goals from Sam Carter. And then they also today just beat um, Orlando as well. So Chicago looked to be um, holding on to their playoff position pretty good. Yeah. And uh, for folks who may remember from the Women's World Cup, Sam Kerr from Australia. And also, my favorite line from a soccer, uh, like a on-field little piece of color commentary where she just yelled, suck on that one. (laughs) Our girl. We had another Portland-North Carolina game tonight, which is always... uh, that was the the NWSL Cup championship game last year, and is always a, a fiery clash when it happens. Um, that playoff system, uh, that playoff situation is starting to to draw to a close, and um, things are starting to uh, to get into a finishing position in MLS. How are you feeling um, with our our late point in the schedule? I'm feeling like it's still just so wild. Like, who knows how things are actually going to shape up. I mean, I think I'm excited. (laughs) Are you asking me existentially? Am I overthinking the question? Like, are you think, okay, so partially we, nobody knows how these playoffs, how single elimination is going to affect things. The playoffs is going to be a, a a more you know I guess truncated version from what we usually expect. Um, but you have a lot of teams that have uh, have interesting stories and a lot of teams that we didn't necessarily expect. Um, who are you happiest to see get a playoff berth? Although it hasn't happened yet, I feel like it's fairly certain that Minnesota will make the playoffs. Um, they're sitting in third place with 45 points. Um, I think it's going to be hard to knock them out of that. And to see what Adrian Heath has done with the team, I know there's still lots of grumblings about him as a coach and what the future will be for Minnesota, but I think that he's uh, done a good job to instill a good work ethic in the team and find the right players to do the right jobs. And I... You know me, I love a team that can just upset people. Um, and <laughs> and that Minnesota doesn't have any pull outside of Minnesota. And for that reason alone, I, I find them kind of fun. And yeah. uh, the other one would be San Jose, of course. Um, not just because of the turnaround this season, but the turnaround from what has been a pretty dismal few years, to say the least... Uh, But the way the team is playing together is really exciting. And it's not just a wild, chaotic San Jose could beat any team. Because we've said that before. If, like, all the winds are blowing in the right direction. But I really feel like San Jose adds an element of interest here that I go... If San Jose is just playing really, like, their brand of soccer really well, not even electric pace and Wondolowski scoring four goals, but just playing really well, I think they're as good as any team in the league. And so that makes things really interesting because so often the narrative in MLS is really about the the top clubs and they try to make it sort of like the, I think a little bit like England where you've got two or three giants and then everybody else. But the reality is often quite different. So I'm just excited to see how things turn out. Obviously, um, I'm excited that Philadelphia Union has just ground out the results and are where they are. Um, I'm looking in the East as well. I'm really revealing my bias here. I'm like, who am I excited to be in the Eastern Conference about? And I'm looking through all the team names. I'm like, hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I feel like last year you would have been like like up until halfway through this season you would have been excited to see 
DC United do something, but I feel like you really turned on him in the last uh, in the last. Oh, week. called out. Yeah, I have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> part, part of the reason why is just that I have no idea what to say about this team. They're so frustrating because from week to week, you don't know what you're going to get. And some weeks they look so clean and put together. Um, and and I think Ben Olsen's a great coach. It's just so up and down that I they're just not a safe enough bet for me to say DC United is good. Um, I'm very happy for them to continue to do well in the East and happy for them to upset the teams above them. I just don't know where they go from here necessarily. I think, and I think that's the big question mark right now is with Rooney on the way out, that really gave them such an identity and such a needed boost, and then with the the new stadium as well. But what does the new era of DC United really look like? So it's it's really up to them, but I feel like it is very possible this season that despite a runaway season for LAFC, I'd argue that there's three or four other clubs that could still take the cup this year. I wouldn't at all be surprised if LAFC ends up lifting that trophy, um, certainly the supporter shield will likely will, will go their way but um, I think in terms of MLS Cup it's maybe a little bit more on the line than maybe people think but what do you think? Um, I think that, that uh, it would be interesting that certainly where the, the, the quote unquote the narrative is going um, I think that one of the most interesting things is that other than LAFC and Philadelphia, and maybe Minnesota. Those are the only three teams that I would say haven't undergone uh, some significant upheaval in the standings. Mm. You know, it's almost in, in in some way it feels like a like a like not necessarily a second chance saloon, but it's like a lot of these teams have been have have taken major hits over the course of the year. Um, New York City had a very bad start and have, or had a, had a relatively bad start and they've recovered to the top of the of the Eastern Conference. Toronto FC looked out yeah. and they're in it. New England looked very out. San Jose looked extremely out. And, and, and when you look now at all these teams, the, the, the positive and the negative is, um, the negative is, is that all of these teams have a significant asterisk in that we've seen all the teams that are currently in playoff spots look very vulnerable mm-hmm. over the course of the yep. year, except LAFC. Yep. <laughs> um, obviously, because they have a goal difference of plus 44. They're the only ones. But we have seen them lose four games, and one of them is a, a way that they you can conceive them losing in the playoffs. Um, For sure. And and that's the, the thing is, and that's where I, I still see teams that could, I'm not saying they're going to beat them easily, but I could still see a result that mm-hmm. things just don't go LAFC's way and they lose 2-1. Well, we've seen, we've seen some years where like, you know, last year it was Red Bulls in Atlanta, where you had two teams that were consistently slugging it out every week and, and, and pushing each other to that post in, in past years. It's been, Toronto and New York City, um, well, what have you? But there's there's usually been a, like at least one other team that you can look at and be like, ah, that team was a real winner, uh, or like you know, is is as as dominant as LAFC is. It's like there's a, there's usually another team in the league where you're like, ah, those guys are are really at the top of their games right now, heading into the final stretch, um, and and you could maybe see them taking a point up. You can see LAFC lose, yeah, but it's hard to imagine to whom, because everybody, everybody, every every other team that's in the playoffs is this in this sort of almost maddening situation of well on their day. It's true, yeah. I, I literally was preparing to say like Toronto with a full, fully fit squad. <laughs> yeah. Um, absolutely, and and this is where it get gets fun in the playoffs, and why I. Do like the structure of once we get to the East versus West, then it's like, well, who knows what's going to happen? Because these teams don't play each other a lot. 
Um, yes. I think Philadelphia Union can beat LAFC. I think Philadelphia Union are a much better coached and organized club than people even give them credit for, even though they finally are getting the credit for it. New York City as yeah. well, uh, I think, play... I don't want to say play similarly, but, you know, in terms of a lot of tight passing and really having an effective midfield. I see that as a good matchup. Atlanta United versus LAFC. Obviously, that would be a good matchup as well. So, like, really, the top four teams right now in the East, I see as being definitely competitive with LAFC. In terms of the West, yeah, you got to think, like, truly all the stars need to align for things to happen. Um, But it's still... It's it's still possible, right? Yes, and that'll that'll be what uh, make things interesting as we look go into every team has now six to four games left. The business end. I know I said six to four as opposed to the other way around, but that's because you have teams playing twenty eight to thirty games. So that's just is how my brain. <laughs> uh, I knew out. what you meant until next week where can we find you online you can find me online on twitter and instagram at that's so mls where can we find you you can find me online at teammates www.team-bates.com um you can find this podcast at www.thatssomls.com and um it's not yet sure how this is going to pan out uh but the our um, our radio partners, Local FM, um, you may be able to tune into them this weekend and hear me doing some coverage of the UMB St. John uh, college team as it starts. I'm um, so excited for you. That'd be fun. Is there a, is there a, is there a way I could listen? Yeah, you can. Uh, anybody can listen to uh, localfm.ca is the radio station. Okay. Great. And you can listen to that live. Uh, the um, what exactly happens show like what the the product that what that form that takes yet to be seen. Okay. But um, I will announce that on my Twitter when I figure out what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm very excited for you. I think that's a, a cool opportunity. In the meantime, um, don't get sent off and make a weird face about it. <laughs>